0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Behind the Pursuit, from bourbon to brand. However you found us, we're glad that you're here as we get behind the scenes with the Pursuit Spirits brand. I'm your host, Brian Bikey. Joining me, the band is back together. We're back from all the road tripping, and we are recapping it tonight. Gentlemen, how are you doing?
1: We got Ryan on drums, Kitty on the vocals.
2: Follow along, long drum solo. Yeah,
1: we're back together. No, it's been good. It's been good. I mean, we've got, I mean, this is pretty much towards the end of it. I'm tired, but it's been a fantastic 13, 14 cities, whatever it's been to be able to do this and meet a lot of people and, you know, hand sell bottles everywhere we go and, you know, case at a time, but it's the it's the slow drip, the slow burn, whatever you want to call it to, to help build this thing. And I'm just glad that you know we've got a, a good fan base out there already of people that know about us and know about the product and can help be our advocates too out there too because this this can't get, can't
2: be done on our own so it's always good to have those people out there be our cheerleaders too Kenny, thanks for all all the work you've done i, I still don't feel sorry for you cuz you planned it during my busiest season knowing <laughs> it was my busiest season uh but uh I planned,
1: I, i'm sorry i, I didn't know that your mother-in-law's 60th surprise birthday party was going to fall in right in the middle of this
2: too I know. It's like everything I had. I was like, I'm going to Spain. It's my busy season and it's my mom's 60th. So it's all good though. Yes. No, I uh, I took
1: the the full force of this one, but it was good. And just to, to kind of get out there and have some fun with it. But as I said, I mean, we're coming towards the end of it. It was a great opportunity to kind of go out. And it's funny. I got a message from somebody else. Somebody who used to be in a rock band at one point And they said, you know, touring is not as fun as people say it is. I go, no, it's not. I mean, he actually had a bus. I was in basically a Toyota Corolla going through, you know, cities in Midwestern Ohio for a long time. And uh, same thing going to Dallas back and forth in a Nissan Altima and, you know, then flying to Houston and doing the same exact thing. It's just been it's been a lot of a lot of a lot of miles. Let's put it that way. A lot of windshield time. But I listen to my own podcast for for a little bit to make sure that we're doing the right thing, too. Did did you ever listen to us before then? <laughs> Not really. I mean, it, it's one of those things that I, we all have our other podcasts we listen to that is the break away from bourbon, if you will, to try and center ourselves, learn more about business life, you know, take an extroverted look at everything or, you know, kind of introspective of your, your own reality. But I did take a few moments and listen to either this podcast or to bourbon pursuit just to figure out, have we gotten better? Are we asking the right questions? Do we sound like idiots? And even on this one, are we
2: are we talking out our ass? Or are we actually spitting off good information from time to time? Is it yes to all that? Eh,
1: it was a little bit. <laughs> we're
2: we're idiots, and uh, we're asking the right questions,
1: giving the right content. As I'd said, in another session or another podcast recording these types of conversations always end up turning into a brainstorming session where ideas just start flowing and start rattling stuff off so hopefully we have some more action items when we come away with this one today
0: well talking about action items i do i want to i want to pull back to the very beginning of the tour so this all that we're talking about here you know tour recap and and we've had a bunch of cities we've been through a bunch of various uh, dates, not just showing up in stores, but we've had, you know, kicking off with the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, which is what I want to pull back to. I know we've kind of hit on it here and there uh, with some of the, the episodes, uh, but I kind of had two things I really wanted to hit on in regards to Kentucky Bourbon Festival, since it was kind of one of the kickoffs to this whole thing. And then we'll we'll talk some other things in regards to the tour. But, you know, when I showed up to Kentucky Bourbon Festival, it was on the last day. And you all had been going for a while. And, man, it was busy there. It was busier than I thought. You know, we had the music festivals going on downtown Louisville as well. And so all of, you know, Kentucky, where we would see the distilleries, was there was action and bourbon action everywhere. And so I was curious what you all saw from that. You know, we'll peel away from Pursuit Spirits uh, just for a bit. You know, with it being so busy, what ways did you see uh, people having to Uh, What tactics do they use? What do people have to do in order to stand out from the crowd when you have, you know, so many brands that were there during the festival, you all being one of them, and so many people with so much whiskey to try and so much space, you know, that that their livers can handle it before they just,
2: everything tastes the same. (laughs) Well, it's funny you say that because on that first day about, you know, the gates open at noon, I think, and about four o'clock you start seeing people laying down the grass and (laughs) taking naps and stuff they kind of went out the gate hot um Mm -hmm. i I think this is kind of a joke but i think this year it was so damn hot if you had a booth in the shade everybody was coming to you and two i think with it being hot barrel um had that was brilliant to do those slushies and they always had a long line you know with those those bourbon slushies it's something cool and refreshing that you know, people could gravitate towards. Looking around, we didn't get a ton of time to go around and like be fanboys because we were just like at our booth the entire time and would get like, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 minutes to break away, go get lunch and then come back, you know, and start talking again. It it seemed like everybody's tent was getting action. It was one truly like great event where everybody really wanted to try everything, I think. I don't know that necessarily maybe kenny saw it differently i don't know if there's necessarily like one booth doing better than others maybe ours but that's it no i'm kidding but uh it, it was that's what was really fascinating about the bourbon festival was that every fan there really did want to try every single distillery you know and of course all the big legacy brands had lines out the door but and usually they would make their way to us about you know 45 minutes after it opened but i don't know what do you what do you think kenny to kind of Dovetail on what you said there a second ago. A lot of people, they go to these and they know
1: the big heritage brands. They know what's there. We've got to stay a little humble because not a lot of people really know about us. As much as the couple thousand people that listen to this, the you know fifty to 60,000 people that listen to Bourbon Pursuit every single month, not a lot of people outside of that know exactly who we are. So when you go and you see the lines at Heaven Hill and uh, all the other places that are around there you kind of look at it and you go, well, I mean, it's to be expected. And a lot of them are going, I do remember somebody that had commented on one of the Facebook groups and saying that they were really disappointed with Kentucky bourbon festival because they expected a lot of the boots to have very you know, limited edition releases and stuff that you could try and everything that just wasn't their core expressions, which I can understand. I guess you're coming to a bourbon festival. You want to try something new or different or unique or limited, but it's, I hope they took an opportunity to go and try to find us as well. Because one thing that I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth on is trying to figure out do we spring and try to go for a bigger booth next year? Because when I look at some of the other booths, I go, Do we try to look bigger than we really are? Because then when people come around, it takes they take more notice. I mean, there is a lot of good there's a lot of good booths out there, and there's even some that I had never even heard of before until this year. Uh, namely, say EJ Curly. That brand came out of nowhere. They had a really big booth. They had a really big presence. Fantastic whiskey, too, by the way. You know, all kind of on a source brand, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, but really good stuff. But when I looked at it, I said, "Man, they just came out of nowhere." But they've got some money behind it. And maybe they're looking bigger than us. And I think, well, maybe that's something we should do: is is try how far can you can you fake it till you make it, and and throw some money at it and see if you you know, get you a more recognizable. Now, I do like where we were only because we were in the shade. A lot of other people were definitely in the heat and on these hot summer days or should I say what, hot September days, whatever it was, it was actually pretty hot. We we did have a, a, a really good kind of area, but it's also one of those things that our booth was tiny. I would love to be able to fit two, three, four times more people through what we did because I know there's a lot of people that came that didn't even come to the area we we're at because... Who didn't know if we were in the craft area or the actual arts and craft area? (laughs) And so if I want to make sure that we get recognized more, I want to be front and center. Like, how do we become, uh, get to a spot where people know exactly where we're at and they want to come try it. But I have to also, again, remind myself, we are in a brand awareness stage for a lot of people. They've just got to figure out who we are. And this is just one mechanism to do it. And through all of this tour, the one thing that I have stayed true And I've come to the conclusion is that these festivals are by far the best use of our time and money because this is where our audience is. And those are the people that we need to reach that are outside of our core audience. I will say we're also a little bit unique in the fact that I don't remember anybody else taking selfies with people in booths other than us. And when people saw Ryan and I, they're like, I'm kind of fangirling out right now. Do you think I can get a selfie? We're like, sure, Absolutely. I looked to the booths to the right of me and to the left of me. I never saw that happen once. So it was kind of an interesting thing when people would be walking by and they'd be going, who are these guys? So it, it kind of got that going for you to to kind of see that just, we have that going on. But we also have the ability to kind of co-brand with it all of having Bird Pursuit and Pursuit Spirits. And going into next year, I think we'll probably disjoint that a little bit more and maybe just do more pursuit spirits branded focus only because we have this kind of identity crisis going on with us right now. But if we have more of a focus on the bourbon, it'll be less about the podcast and that way we'll help again, increase more brand awareness and more brand visibility too.
0: aside from KBF and you can speak on KBF's behalf if you want to also, you know, even during the tour as a whole again, yeah. You all might have people coming up and wanting to get photos, and I would assume that's from affiliation with Bourbon Pursuit, but do you think you had driving people on the tour stops that came out because they wanted to try Pursuit Spirits, or primarily, or people who came out because they knew about you all from Bourbon Pursuit, they are going to show up regardless and trying pursuit was just a, a a byproduct of that.
1: Yeah, for most of what I could say. It was it was a byproduct of it. But the good thing is that we should actually have a really good product. So it, I don't I don't feel bad about that. You're right. Nobody would just come because of, oh, this no-name brand that just came up. No, they come because it's Ryan and I. They they know exactly who we are and we talk about it all the time. We talk about our product, we talk about the process, we talk everything that we've been putting into it. And Thankfully, I would say a good hefty portion, at least fifty percent of the people that do come, have tried the product. They know all about it and they know the story. They've got a bottle on their shelves, but then the other half that come, they try it for the first time and they are a little taken back. They're really surprised. They didn't they thought it was gonna be some young grainy piece of crap, or they assumed it was just also sourced from MGP. So we can go ahead and dispel a lot of those myths, and that way we can try and again, build on top of our fan base and making sure that we are continuing to grow that message and and help grow the support too.
2: Yeah. I'd say the majority were coming because of the podcast. And then you would hope to, which we're grateful for them. And it was great meeting all the fans and, and, but the, they're already customers, you know, and we love seeing them and love meeting them, but it's trying to find the, the new and relate to new people. And that's what, that's what's great about having the podcast and the fans of that. Cause people in the store see people coming up, talking to you, taking pictures and are like, well, what the hell's going on here? Why, why are people taking pictures with YouTube douchebags? You know, <laughs> let me see what's, let me see what's going on. So it kind of, and that, that was happening at the bourbon festival too. Like they would be like, well, all these people are lined up, to take photos with you. I had to see what was going on, you know? And, uh, and then you give them the whiskey and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, so it, it definitely helps. And we're very appreciative of our tribe and fan base. Like that's, it makes it, you feel less like a loser when you go to a liquor store and you only sell like a case, <laughs> and but you have people there that know you and you can talk to them and hear about where they found you, how they listen to you, how you impact their day. And so it makes it a much more pleasant experience than just going to stores and swinging and missing, you know, on, on selling some stuff yeah I, do you remember the
1: the lady at the very last day like towards the very end that came to us she'd been kind of playing with us for a few days and kind of knowing paying attention but not really saying anything and at the very last moment she finally started talking to us and opened up and said, okay listen here it is put it all out there and she's got all these kind of barrels and all this money behind her and everything like that and she said guys i'm very impressed there's a there's a certain dynamic that you all have that's kind of interesting in the fact that most people go and build a brand and try to find an audience. You will have an audience and then built a brand. So we are already in a very advantageous position compared to most brands out there that are just trying to get started and trying to build a brand and trying to find a following, but we already have that. And now we've just got to make sure that we can grow that. And so we're, like I said, as Ryan said, we're very fortunate of, of what we've been able to have so far but we're in a really cool position where we have a chance to create even something bigger. And I'm really excited for the plans that are going to come and other things that we can talk about in the future. But for now, now it's eyes on the,
2: uh, figuring out our roadmap for 2023. She wants us to do a TV show. And we were like, "No, we got, <laughs> yeah, I do remember we, got we got faces made for radio."
0: <laughs> what size does Bourbon Pursuit need to be in order for the Pursuit Spirits to be considered a celebrity whiskey? Oh
2: shit, <laughs> we're not uh, close. <laughs>
0: I think, yeah, I was autographing saved. bottles, lines for selfies at festivals. It's it's. I think you be, have
1: to have a million followers, probably on yeah, Instagram. I'd say you got to be at least ten to twenty times the size are we are now, and that that doesn't happen and whiskey. So we're, we're going to be content with just what we have as being c less celebrities in the whiskey world anyway. So that means we're at least a below an F in the real world. So we're just
0: going to, have to keep going with our, our mediocre status. Well, where I want to hear about next, I want to hear about the reception in Ohio specifically, because this was, you know, a big to do. It was the, you know, they held off putting it into the stores and until you got there, and so Ohio was a market that we've been looking to get into for a while. So what was, what were the dates in Ohio like? So the Ohio again was a very
1: interesting one. This came as a, a way that we even went to Ohio in the first place was because of the podcast. We look and look at the data. We can see exactly where the bulk of our listeners are, not just from the podcast data, as well as Patreon data. I know that there's a great percentage of people there that are actually from Ohio and so, usually that extrapolates out. If you're just going to take a sample size of your audience, that's going to give you a good idea of where people are really from. Seeing as Ohio had a really good population, it only made sense to start to do that. In addition, we can also look at sales box sales data for our products. And that also gives us a good idea of where people who are buying our products too. And when you start looking at all three, they eventually start adding up. We knew we were going to go Ohio. I didn't have any plans to do any public visitations in Ohio or anything like that. But I, I do want to give a shout out to Andemic. She's part of OHLQ. She listens to the podcast and she was the one that really encouraged me and said, listen, I really think that you all should do an in-person event to launch this. And I was very hesitant. I go, God, can't we just, you know, put some pictures on Instagram and say, Hey, it's in Ohio, go get it. But I have, slowly learned over the period of these 13 cities that not only do the distributors want you to be there, but so do your fans. Just because you have some stuff on the shelves doesn't mean people are going to go and buy it, but this is definitely a a mechanism and an avenue to try and get that, garnish that, should I say that, um, that level of excitement that people do want to go and get it, and they do want to go see you, and that's going to push them over the edge to be able to do that too. So going into Ohio, this was... This was the strenuous one. I'm pretty sure my hips still hurt from driving this little tiny car 750 miles around the state. But starting in Louisville, driving all the way up to Toledo and starting off my trip at doing a private event with uh, at the private group around there. And that's one thing that I try to do at all these cities that I went to is trying to set up private events every single night with different whiskey clubs and different whiskey groups to be able to give them an inside look at what we've been doing. So it's not just a two to three minute meet and greet, shake my hand, sign a bottle, get on your way. But instead, it's more of a an in-depth, intimate experience. And so it's about a 45 to 60 minute thing where we can kind of hear our story, how we got to the point where we are now, and a lot more about the whiskey as well as some individual components. Sometimes we do single barrels, sometimes we did the breakdown, and we just kept that going. And I think that was as, that was as fun. Started in Toledo, then went to Cleveland then two days in Columbus, then down to Dayton, and then finishing up towards in the Mason, Cincinnati area. And that was three days of just constant moving and traveling. I really wish it could have been a little bit slower in regards of of where I went and how I had to do it because my events were set up sometimes from 12 to 2 or from 2 to 4, and sometimes it'd be 4 to 6. And you do that on a Wednesday or Thursday, you're not going to be getting a big Bulk of people there. You, it's the middle of the workday for well, it should be the middle of the workday for mostly everyone. <laughs> and so we didn't, you know, you don't get a whole lot of uh, foot traffic unless you were to do it, say, on a Friday afternoon or a Friday evening or a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday evening. Those always proved to be a little bit better, but typically the the five to sevens are always the the kind of the prime spot because people are either getting off work and they can get there, they can get to the liquor store, and if you can do it on a Thursday or Friday even better because there's gonna be high traffic times. You know, I, I can't complain. I, I'm really appreciative of everybody that came out, you know, going back into the Buckeye state. It was one of those things that I've found out through all these learnings that Ohio consumes what I would say, I think it's the third largest or fourth largest spirits consumption state out of the entire United
2: States. So that gives you an idea of how much bourbon they're drinking. I'm just glad they're drinking ours now too. I wish I had feedback on Ohio, but I did not get to participate. I did have a lot of friends in Ohio that um, went to the various events, and they were in, thrilled that we were releasing up there because that's the hard part about all this is, you know, Kenny was talking about the podcast data and knowing where our fans are, where what states we need to be to. Ironically, every state that has our most fans are no-ship states for Sealbox. And so what makes this hard about our brand is, we have a fan base and customers that are out there, but because we can't do direct consumer shipping, we have to do the shotgun approach through the three-tier system and getting it into the liquor stores and the areas that our fans are is very challenging. And so doing an event like Ohio, like, and thankfully, thankfully, and with the OHLQ was able to help set that up to where we could get the most fans that have been wanting our product to get it. And so that's been a much Seems like a much better release in state for us than other states where, you know, we're just kind of doing this shotgun approach, hoping our distributors and people get try to get to the product where we need it to be. But we have no idea where we need it to be, because uh, if we if there was direct to consumer, it would just be so much easier for us to reach, you know, our target audience that much better. Ryan, did you get
0: to get around and do any of the private tastings anywhere
2: in Travels World? Would you do any down in Tennessee? I did, yeah. I did some. I went down in Knoxville. I spent a day driving, so I looked at all the stores on the way to Knoxville from Kentucky down to Knoxville on I sixty four and I seventy five. And so I'd stopped in a few cities like London, Corbin. Stopped in Knoxville, did some store visits, then had a private event at Maple Hall, and then a private event with the Knoxville Bourbon Club afterwards. And then after that, I cases of bourbon and rye and went and hopped around to different liquor or sorry to different bars and restaurants just having them try having bartenders try our products we were just launching in the east tennessee market and so i got to see what you know i'd done some visits you know with kenny here in uh kentucky doing the events and whatnot but was not able to do ohio or texas so doing the knoxville you know, kind of give me a glimpse of being the the road warrior that Kenny was. It is fun. I I enjoyed it, and I like meeting new people, and it's energizing, especially meeting your new fans. But it's pretty exhausting going, and you try to talk to people, and they don't know who you are, and you're trying to tell them, and then they're like, "No, I'm good," and you're like, "Ah, oh, you know, swing and a miss." And then you go to the next one, then you're like, "Yeah, I'll take a bottle," and you're like, "All right, I won," you know. And then you're like, "It's only one bottle, crap," you know. But uh, that's just the process of growing. We're in that. I was talking to Kenny the other day. It's like in business, you're either hustling to to grow your business or you're hustling to manage it. And right now we're in that hustling to grow it. And so that it can be a very challenging time because uh, there's a lot of no's along that path. And so you have to look past those and look at the bigger picture to push you through all those, those no's. Also mentioned that we, we skipped over Chicago, a few days in Chicago
1: to do there too. So flying in so many places, I can't remember them all. Yeah. And I hit up, if I recall correctly, 12 different Benny stores, because as Ryan had mentioned, one of the things that is a part of this whole game that maybe people don't realize is that even though you got your bottles on the store shelves, that doesn't mean that the store owners have any idea who you are. They've never tasted it, never tried it. They don't know your story or the store managers or their spirits consultants or whomever. So you've got to go and you've got to go to every single one of these stores and give them the royal treatment presenting the entire story to them, letting them try it. And then so when they have a customer that comes in and go, ah, I've got, I want something brand new. I, what what else do you have? You got any Pappy? No. You got any Blantons? No. Well, let me show you this United stuff over here. That's, that's the way we got to start leading them to is that now we can make sure that they have an, an idea of more about the product. So it's just not some random bottle on the shelf that gets lost, but instead it connects with somebody. It's got a story behind it. And that's what we've noticed that that's why all these big brands do it. That's why, Wild Turkey brings in all of the bartenders all the time. And you've got different, all the big distilleries, they bring in their distributors, they bring in liquor store, they bring in retail owners and they give them the experience. So when they go back and they've got to recommend products to their buyers and their customers, that's, that's what they always lean towards. So it's a, you're always trying to beg for people's attention and trying to make sure that you give them something that is a a very memorable experience. And if, if all it takes is just popping a liquor store and saying hi and chatting with them for 10 to 30 minutes, then maybe that's just what it takes. But it is a, it is a long and arduous process because we know that even though you go to that store once, well, you know, that, that guy's only there for that shift and then maybe he's not even there for another two weeks and he's got another job somewhere else. So mm-hmm. it's a cycle
2: that never ends either. <laughs> There's so much education you because you, you go to a shelf and especially the bourbon shelf it's so crowded and you're like how does one customer come in here and notice your bottle they don't and so they you have to have that I did some staff trainings with the Liquor Barn and Party Mart staff here just because you know they've had our products but none of their staff knew who the hell we were and we're here locally and so I just went up to them and said hey how do we get on your tasting bar and they're like well, why don't you just buy a bottle and put it up there? And I was like, okay, done. I'll put it up. And they're like, but well, we don't know anything. I was like, and the manager's like, well, we do in-store staff trainings, you know? So he's like, I can set up one for you. So you set it up and they learn about you and they you hope to build a connection with the staff that because they have customers that come in all the time that they know. And ironically, so I did the training and, you know, a salesperson there, one of their biggest customers came in and said, he said, Hey, what do I need to buy? And he goes, you need to buy this pursuit stuff. And he bought every last bottle that we had at party Mart luck of the draw, but it, it you know, it's what it takes is just building that impact with the staff and, and the team that they can help educate consumers on your product. And it's, it's not to bash distributors or stores or this, or that it, because, you know, they got a lot to do and, and but the the system's broken and it's flawed for sure, and that's what's been kind of uh, eye opening to me that uh, how uh, how flawed it is. It's it's not a it's not a, an equal playing ground, I guess, for small brands versus big brands, and it, it's it's uh, a one that we're trying to figure out and navigate. And how do you compete against the the bigger brands who are giving case deals and putting up giving money to do displays and this and that, and paying for, st- you know, it's like, it, I'm not saying like, oh, it's, I'm whining and unfair. It's just, we're trying to learn that flaw system and learn how to navigate it, I guess, because it is what it is. It's not going to change. And so that's kind of been the struggle is like, okay, this system sucks of this three tier system. How do we make the most of it? I guess that's been the hardest part. I can hear the big guys listening to this going, hey, don't hate the player. Hate the game.
1: That's no, the exactly.
2: It's- it, yeah, it's not them. It's just the the. You know, how do we get that attention? And it's it's very challenging. You know, with bootstrapping this thing and not having the resources to just go and. Buy big display sets and give ma- massive case deals and whatnot. So it's it, that's the, kind of been the challenge, I guess. Are
0: other brands that are your all size or a bit, little bit bigger than your all's, are they also doing the same things that you all are doing? Or are you all just getting the feedback that in order to stand out among your other competitors, this is something that you need to have an advantage? Are you, I mean, are you all seeing practices that other brands are doing the same thing? It's funny you say that because everybody else that we've talked to, we've expressed our I would say uh, frustrations
1: with, they, they all say the same thing. They go, you're doing just fine, guys. You're doing exactly <laughs> what you need to be doing. And even though it feels like we're failing, it it sounds like everybody's been in this situation before. And we just have to continue to go down this trajectory in this path where we can continue to start, again, make those impressions. I, I almost feel like the the store or the, the shelf is like a bouncer at a nightclub. You've got to do something to either grease the palm <laughs> or do something to give the incentive. <laughs> do Twenty dollar like, in. handshake. Like, yeah, be like, did you buy bottle service? Nah, back at the back in the other section. And I, I just feel that we're 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 not at a disadvantage by it, but we're also again we need to continue to kind of grow their message and amplify it and just find the right people uh, to help do that too. So I'm excited to you know start launching our own ambassador program that we're going to be doing soon too with some internal folks from Patreon and we'll maybe again, we'll look at opening that up to other people where we can help grow to allow people to you know represent our brand on our behalf. And that's going to help us grow too. And this is something that we're committed to putting marketing dollars behind it, because I feel that that's the best way. It's a little bit of an old school tactic to be able to to do that, but I feel that it, it is a tried and true tactic. But as I said, every person that we've talked to about how do we break out and how do we start doing better distributor relationship management how do we continue to grow the brand everybody always says the same same exact thing they go you're you're in the right position you're doing the right thing you just got to keep at it so even though it feels like it's a struggle at time we have to consider that we're not the first ones that pave this path and we're not going to be the last ones either so we'll just continue down and make sure that we can continue pushing in the product and, and making sure that we we continue getting the eyeballs we need on it that's that's what it is I know we're kind of taking it away from the tour but these are some of the the revelations and findings we're, we're finding from it as well.
2: Well, it's just we're we're learning, we're figuring out and understanding the game, and which we kind of knew going into it, but not we're not as much as we know now. And we're just learning and failing forward as we always do. But for instance, you know, people are like, "How can Wilderness Trail sell out? It should be a small mom and pop, you know, this and that." But then you understand, like, okay, Campari has. Those distributor relationships, they have, they know the game. They know how to get the product out. They know how to work the system, and it's just a plug and play, you know. So I, I understand why brands sell to the these big corporations because they have navigated this these waters and are able to push that brand past this stage of just hustling to get to get shelf space. Yeah, kind of like how Woodenville got swooped up by LVMH and everything like
1: that, because. They could take it to a national brand. And it's a, I totally understand why they do that because as much as we've been going through this, everybody kind of knows that Ryan and I are still the 100% shareholders of the entire company. We're still number one and number two, depending on the day, who's number one and who's number two. But, you know, it's one of those things that <laughs> we are, we're, we're learning all this together. We haven't brought in, somebody to help run sales or run marketing or do whatever. We're doing it all right now because, A, we don't have the money to do that. But B, it's just, we I think we feel confident knowing that we can do this ourselves. It's just going to be the the growing pains that we're going to experience as a part of this. And we're experiencing that right now, but we're going to get through it. And I, I think that oh, yeah. these this tour by far has been a big revelation of that. Back to the tour, I will say that you know everything in Kentucky had been has been going great. Great relationship with the distributor. Got a lot of good products out there. You we know, We'll try and do a lot more things here in our backyard only because it's so easy. In Ohio, again, OHLQ has been fantastic. One of the, the best support states that I've been through. Every single time I showed up to an event, the store was ready. People showed up. I was always amazed there was anywhere between 20 to 40 people at every single stop in Ohio. By far the best of anywhere. So I will say that there is a, a great fan base there. So I can't say thank you enough to everybody that was in Ohio. Then going into Illinois, I'm sure by now, anybody that kind of listens at this moment, as of the time this is recording, we're still a Benny's exclusive if you're going through there. So we are in all Benny's locations. You can just go to the Benny's website Pipe Type in Pursuit United, you'll see exactly where it is across the state. But once again, going into the bottle signings for Benny's, they were all set up. I had an opportunity again, the only time that I was able to go and hit up I think 12 different or 14 different Benny's locations throughout the greater Chicago area. I would wake up in the morning and I would go and I just start hitting up every single Benny's I could, I mapped it and routed it all out about two weeks before I went to make sure that I could go and train the staff as much as I could. They asked me to go to three or four stores. I said, screw that. I'm going to do 12 because I'm committed to this and I want to make this happen. So that was the first kind of case that I want to make sure that happened. Uh, then, you know, next week going into memphis tennessee and uh, as well as knoxville and nashville i was pleasantly surprised to sit there and uh, you know a great turnout at the private event that was down in memphis tennessee on day one with the mid-south bourbon brotherhood i mean it was just fantastic they knocked it out of the park just making sure it was actually the largest uh setting the largest amount of people that i ever had at a private tasting was down there so thank you to all them we had almost 40 people for that particular private tasting. And when we need five cups out for everybody, it's a lot of cups. I ended up using all of them while I was there. So I had to go into Nashville and buy more cups when I finally got to my uh, my signing when I was in Midtown Cork Dorks there. The other thing that we're learning through this as well is that you know we've got to experience better relationship management with our distributors because I would say that Tennessee has not been the most well-performing state for us if we have to be honest with it. But that's one of those things that it's, it's also a combination of we just relied too much on the distributor to do something and we weren't doing anything to help it along. So understanding exactly what we can do to be better partners as a, through this process has been a, a big help too. So when I left Memphis, went to Nashville, and I want to say great uh, experience at Memphis, got to meet some guys that own a sandwich shop down there. So I want to give a shout out to those guys because uh, I actually stopped in their sandwich shop. And they had no idea that I was going to be in that shop for lunch one day. And they're like, oh my God, you're here. My brother's going to be at your bottle signing later. It was a it was a very fantastic sort of interaction that I had with those guys. Uh, and the Vanellis is who it was. So shout out to those guys. And then after that, going into Nashville, going to Midtown, basically in the heart of downtown Nashville, one of the biggest liquor stores out there uh, as a part of it. And having a, a great line, a great flow the entire time, making sure that you know, got to meet uh, a lot of people. So I just want to say shout out to all of them. Thank you again, once again, for coming. Even though we didn't get a chance to do a private event in Nashville, I believe that is definitely going to be on the roadmap. I already got a connection down there There's somebody that wants us to come and I don't know, do it in a, a house that's got a lot of bourbon in it. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, they've got literally walls of it. So they want us to come and come back down and do a private event down there too. And then after that, what we just had officially wrapped up or I officially wrapped up was my time down in Texas and the private events were great. Thank you everybody that came out to all the goody goodies and the specs and everything like that. Um, Again, one of those things that we're learning, making sure that we create a better relationship with our distributor down there so we can kind of start pushing the market um, as we go down that point. But I do want to give a very, very, very special shout out to Chris Hart, Todd Groob, and even to Wade Woodard of setting up the Houston whiskey social that was by far. And what I've realized is that's, that's where we need to put our, our dollars and cents and, and heart into are these whiskey events, because that is where the diehards come. And this is where our fans are gonna be. So we got an opportunity to meet a lot of great people. Once again, being there, being one of the few people that people wanted to take pictures with me as we're sitting in front of the booth and people had no idea. So we were, had the opportunity to be able to go and do that. The one thing I really loved about the Houston Whiskey Social over the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, this one was only five hours, a lot better than three days. So, <laughs> being able to kind of cram all that in—I mean, they had probably a, a solid twelve hundred people there for the whiskey social, and I would say around seventy booths, eighty booths, something like that. I mean, guys, that's a—it was a really, really cool showing. So it was—it was something that. It was kind of bourbon festival, but just really crammed down and and into a a small short window of time. And I would much rather hustle and go and talk for five hours straight than to, well, I guess, hustle and go for three days
0: straight. So it was, I really, I did enjoy the the condensed version of of what they did at the Houston Whiskey Social. What did you find the most unexpected thing in, in all the dates in all
2: of your stops, did you run into anything that was just like... We had a f- gentleman from Korea come to a Louisville signing. <laughs> that true. was pretty wild. Uh, I don't think he came just for us. He just happened <laughs> no, to be in town. No. But uh, just because we're in the bourbon podcast media and you read about all these various brands growing and doing this many cases and this and that, and you're like, gosh, man, they're killing it. And then you realize that... Cases sold doesn't mean reorders, and that's the that's the number one thing you really need to focus on in this game is reorders and pull through rates. And that's while you think other brands are you know and maybe they are, I don't know, but it, that's what I, that's what people have learnt, taught me to, to focus on. It's like how I, can you get that pull
1: through rate? Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll second that. It's been one of those things that this has all been a a fantastic learning experience. I want to say if she's never going to listen to this, but maybe one day when I'm dead and gone and she's going to go back and listen to all our podcasts. Uh, Thank you, Lauren, for letting me go out and do this. This was not an easy thing to be gone for. Yes, I second that. Thanks On the road for, (laughs) gosh, since September 12th or September 16th and doing this all the way until mid-November. So it was very nice of her to let me go ahead and do this and be away from the family because this is something that we are learning that this is what it takes to build a brand. No way around it. Uh, there's, there's no shortcuts into it. And knowing that this is what we need to do to, to help build it. She wasn't the the happiest camper when I had planned this all without her telling, without telling her, <laughs> I'm not going to make that mistake again and make sure we have a nice little sit down and see exactly what we can do. But this is a, again, it's a, it was a good experience, a humbling experience as well, because I always have to remind myself, listen, I'm just a bourbon podcaster. I can't expect there to be a line of people outside the door every single time when people want to come. We're not TV stars. We're not music stars. We're not athletes. We're just bourbon podcasters. So I'm just glad that people (laughs) did show up because it, it definitely helped the ego that it just wasn't just sitting there by myself going, okay, well, that was it. Nobody came. I guess I'll get out of here. Because it's it's one thing, Ryan, you probably didn't get to experience it as you go to these stores and you'll talk to the, uh, the one of the employees there and they'll go, oh, we've got you set up over here. We've got six cases of each set aside. Uh, and, okay, this is by the way, this is going to be a really funny story. So I was in Ohio and it was in my second stop in Columbus. So I'd already done the first stop from twelve to two, and then the next was from four to six. So I'm going to my second stop in Columbus, and I, I get there, and it's a store that's a little bit out of the way. I walk in, and I'm like, "Hey, my name's Kenny. I'm, I'm here for doing the bottle signing here in a little bit." She goes, "Okay, here, this is how it's going to work. So what you're going to do? We're going to set you up on this table here on the other side, and what I'm going to do." is I've got to have everybody line outside because my regulars come in. They got to get their their vodka and their five ball and they got to get out of there. So what I'm going to do is we're going to line people up and I'm going to bring them all in 10 at a time. They're going to circle around the building. They're going to get their bottle signed, check out, go out. I'm going to let the next 10 in. I go, I I don't I don't think it's going to be like that. I don't think you have anything to worry about. She goes, listen, I've done bottle signings before. I know what to expect. This is what's going to happen. I go, okay, who have you done bottle signings before? She goes, Bruce Buffer and 50 Cent. I go, Well, I mean, of course. Like, I'm sure fifty cents gonna pull that kind of people, but dude, like, nobody's coming for me. So it was uh it was one of those things that you know, I was like, yeah, yep. Yeah. Sorry to disappoint you, lady. You might have to corral one person around. <laughs> well <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't even that. It was basically just moving half my family out of the way from Ohio to come and make room because uh I, I will say I have great support, great family that came. Even in Texas, I had families showed up that I totally forgot they lived there and
0: uh, <laughs> came and said hi. So I was really surprised to see that too. That's any nice. greater encouraging feedback you guys got from any of it? I mean, again, you know, you're you're no strangers to having people turn out, you're, you know, some of the festivals that you've gone to and doing some of the private events already. But, you know, while you're out on the road in crowds outside of Kentucky and maybe a little bit away from you know, some of the comforts of the supporters from the show, you know, anything that you heard from somebody that you're like, this is why, this is why we keep showing up. I had a few of those awesome moments after, after the
1: the fans had gotten their bottle and signed and left, and I'm just sitting there standing, waiting for the next person to walk in and they look at the table. So I've got to sit there and hand sell them everything I've got here. They, they have no idea who I am. They walk up to the table. I say, Hey, do you know who I am? Not. I shouldn't say it. like they didn't. They didn't say that. I said, "Are are you here to drink some free bourbon?" I go, "Sure, why not?" And then I would start my story and say, "Hey, I'm Kenny. I run Bourbon Pursuit. It's a pretty large bourbon podcast, and this is my whiskey." That was something. Nine times out of ten, okay, fine. Thanks for your whiskey. I'll go ahead and move along. But there is that ten percent that one or two people every single time. I feel like I turn them into a fan because. They go, I had no idea. I, I listen to podcasts. I'm a trucker. Or I have listened to I listen to podcasts all the time I run and I really have whiskey. I've got to go and check this out. And then they try it and they like it. And then you know, they might not buy the bottle there, but I actually was able to get a few people to buy a bottle every once in a while. But I have a feeling that that's a way to help build a new customer, a new connection, a new listener that we can continually uh, do that. I mean, if it was any other brand that didn't have another form of median where you could sit there and understand more about our story, what we talk about, I think you'd lose them. I think we're very fortunate that we have that ability. If somebody doesn't know us, they come up to us, they grab a burn pursuit sticker, they put it in their pocket, then they get home, they're sitting on the couch, they pull it out and look at it and go, I might as well just go ahead and see what this is about. And then maybe they become a fan for life. I think that's one of the cool things we able to do. I mean, one of the things that i had so many people say that they found out about us through is also when we had, during the pandemic, we did that whiskey from home event where we reached a little bit over, what was it? Gosh, like 50,000 people in a day. That was one way that we were able to gain a lot of new fans and a lot of new followers and those are the things we got to do. We've just got to make sure that we continue doing what we've been doing. We put our heart and soul into the podcast. We're putting our heart and soul into this product and this business. And I think that will all work out where they'll we'll kind of meet. So we've already been able to build the world's largest whiskey podcast. Let's see if we can build the largest bourbon brand as well. Well, about the, the breaks? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe that's high,
2: high ambition. <laughs> Maybe we can build most rec- one of the most recognizable ones. How about that? One story was when we were at Liquor Barn. Kenny and I were. And it was going well, but it was still... It was a Monday night, kind of slow. And then towards the end, this guy just walked in. He's like, yeah, I just decided to walk in. And he tried our product. And he was like, wow, this was really good. And he ended up... He was like, this is some of the better product I've had of a new brand in quite some time. And he went and bought a bottle. And then you're like, okay. You know, that... You just get that one hit and you're like, all right, we're doing it. You know, it's like one step at a time. And, it, you know, building a brand is this big daunting thing. And you do have to kind of put in like these little bite-sized incremental steps. And we like instant gratification. We want everything to happen. But you got to enjoy the process and the journey while I do air my grievances and whine about the three-tier <laughs> system. And still, it's challenging It's challenging us and forcing us to grow as people it's humbling us it's forcing us to learn to uh, adapt saying that I'm I'm enjoying the process still of navigating this space and learning it because like Kenny said there's been many that have done it before us and they didn't do it just by getting lucky and being tater podcasters they did it by hustling being authentic making a great product and we'll get there too and so uh, we've got to continue to enjoy this process and this journey because we're having fun and that's that's the most important thing.
1: I don't think this will be the end of a tour. We will try to figure out ways that we can do yes. this to with more cities, knowing that we're now opening up places like Missouri, so we got to hit places like Kansas City and St. Louis. We haven't done anywhere in Georgia yet even though that's where we're distributed. I know if there are probably even more states people want us to come to, but if you are in one of the states where we are distributed and you didn't make it to a private event or you would like us to have a private event in one of your cities, please reach out to us. I think that's one of the coolest things that we can do. If you're in the Louisville area, even better because we're in your
0: backyard. We'd be more than happy to make that happen. So hopefully hit us up and we'll make it it happen. Guys, thanks again for tuning in to another episode. And if you all found out about Pursuit Spirits or Bourbon Pursuit, While the road tour was coming through your city, send us a line, podcast at PursuitSpirits.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know that we've gained another fan, not just for the instant gratification, but know that we can continue bringing content that you all want to hear as we grow the Pursuit Spirits brand. Thanks for tuning in as always, everybody. And until next time, we'll see you all later.